Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Steve Asawa explores Advent in the Gospel of Matthew. And now, here's Steve. Good morning. Thank you, Ryan, Vicki. Great to, to see that the, the healing is happening on, on your wrist, Vicki. Thank you for just drawing our attention to our Lord and our Savior Jesus. And so we sung Jesus, the love song of God. And, and that's why we're here today, isn't it? Because God loved us so much that he sent us his son. As we've seen from the reading and the lighting of the candles, we're in the season that we refer to as Advent. It's the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And Advent refers to Jesus' arrival or his coming. It's a time when people focus on the coming of the Lord Jesus, both at his nativity, taking on human form as a little baby, that, that one we reflect on at Christmas, and also thinking about his coming again, that time when he's going to return a second time. This morning, we're going to be looking at Advent in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector who left his booth to follow Jesus. And while his audience was probably Jewish, the gospel extends to all of us. Among other things, Matthew writes to prove that Jesus was indeed the Messiah that the people were waiting for. He shows how Jesus fulfilled numerous prophecies that his audience would have been familiar with. Matthew also tells how Jesus described the kingdom of heaven And he reminds his readers that God's eternal kingdom was still to come. I'm going to touch on a few facets of the Advent theme this morning. Some of my references came from an Advent lectionary or specific readings chosen from Advent for Advent. I've also added numerous others. So we'll be going fairly quickly through a a lot of scripture this morning and uh, I've put most of it, most of it should show up on the screen for you. We're going to look at who Jesus is. For example, son of David. We'll look at his birth. We're going to look at John the Baptist's ministry and the message of repentance and the need for trust in Jesus. Touch very quickly on the King of Heaven and what it all means for us today. Before we get into this, let's just commit our time to prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, I just pause and just marvel that the God who created and sustains the heavens and the universe created, sustains, and loves ones like us, like me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Jesus as we sung the love song of God. We thank you that no price was too great to redeem us, that Jesus was willing to come to the cross for us. And we thank you for this time of year when we just Remember his incarnation, that time when heaven came down to earth in flesh, in the form of a baby. And pray that you would just open our hearts and minds to your word this morning. Help us, Father, just to be a little more focused on you and your goodness and your love. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, who is Jesus? We're going to look at uh, a bit about his genealogy. 
And we see that he was the son of David. The Gospel of Matthew starts with this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now in those days, it was really important to be able to trace one's roots, to show one's lineage. And it was particularly important as Matthew was demonstrating that Jesus was a descendant of Abraham, that he was a descendant of David, that he was the king of that Davidic line, the one that the scripture spoke about. And the word for genealogy is also the word used for Genesis. So we have the beginning of a new story with Jesus. And in him, we can and all should have a new beginning as well. We get a new life when we commit ourselves to Jesus. Just going to read the little bits of the genealogy. won't touch on all of them. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Sorry, can you just go back one for a sec, please? I just wanted to see how that shows up on the screen. Um, and we'll touch on that after, but you'll notice that some of the names are in blue. Actually, the, what's interesting is in the genealogy, we've got four women who are mentioned there, and there are four Gentile women mentioned in the genealogy of David, or of um, Jesus. And again, you know, the message was to the Jewish people, but indeed the gospel the saving grace of Jesus is available to all. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So the Jewish people were expecting a coming Messiah, the anointed one. As time went on, prophecies became a little clearer and a little more clear. Unfortunately, many of them failed to recognize Jesus as the Messiah when he did come. So Jesus is referred to as the son of David a few times in Matthew's gospel. For example, when two blind men were calling out for mercy from the son of David, or the Canaanite woman who was crying for mercy for her daughter, or when the crowds were welcoming Jesus as he made his way into Jerusalem just before he was crucified. And we know what they shouted, right? Hosanna to the son of David. We see that a couple of times. The Pharisees even agreed that the Christ would be the son of David. Unfortunately, they just couldn't affect the, they couldn't accept the fact that Jesus was the Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. In chapter 2, Jesus was, sorry, chapter 22, Jesus was challenging them, saying, you know, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. Jesus said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer a word, nor did anybody ask him any more questions after that. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be a child from the Holy Spirit. 
Some of you may recall giving or receiving an engagement ring. And maybe you remember the, the anticipation of the ceremony to come. Where you'd be married. Who would perform the service. Who to invite, etc. You weren't legally married, however, until those papers were signed after the service, after the wedding itself. In Jesus' day, betrothal was a, le- a legally binding contract. The couple was essentially married even though the wedding feast was many months away. The betrothed couple wasn't, however, allowed to be alone until the, wedding, the actual wedding ceremony. And it's during that time that Joseph learns that his wife is pregnant. And although we're not told how the news came out that Mary was pregnant, I'm sure it would have been a really awkward and difficult time for them. How can this be? Who's responsible? What would the neighbors think? And by the way, that was a really big deal in those days. What should we do? We know what Joseph's plan A was. The Bible tells us, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from the dream, from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now the implications of Joseph's decision are absolutely huge. We aren't even sure if people understood what this prophesied virgin birth even meant. How could some be pregnant? How could a virgin become pregnant? Who would even believe this? And the firstborn son received the largest portion of the inheritance, including the land. The firstborn son was responsible for looking after the family and carrying on the family name. Joseph might be the dad, but he wasn't the biological father. You can just picture Joseph and Mary. We're simple peasants. How are we going to raise this Jesus? Mary's acceptance of the situation is found in Luke's gospel. And here in Matthew, we just see that Joseph trusted what the Lord said and assumed responsibility for this child. What a huge responsibility that would be, isn't it? I have a hard time even imagining how he would have figured this one out or how they would have figured it out. How are we going to do this? Both of them, though, accept God's will and their leading in their lives. It's not too long before that, not too long after that, they get another reminder of just how special their son is. When the Magi are led by the star to a place where Jesus was, and when they presented him with gifts of gold, myrrh, and frankincense. Sorry, incense and myrrh. Gifts fit for a king. An angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream, and then he tells him, go to Egypt. Later on, the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in another dream and tells him, return to the land of Israel. 
Now, it might be easy to say, well, of course, it's easy for them to trust and to follow God. He got direct messages. The angel of the Lord came and spoke to him. But life wasn't that simple and easy for them, I'm positive. And we ourselves, we're not off the hook if the Lord speaks to us differently from how he reached out to Mary and Joseph. So then we come to John the Baptist. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. When Jesus began his ministry, he went to Capernaum in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, again in fulfillment of prophecy, this time from Isaiah chapter 9. Read 4.17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Sound familiar? Jesus' ministry was in complete agreement with John's. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It would have been, should have been, understood as a reference to God reigning, to God being in charge. The message was one of spiritual cleansing, a spiritual awakening. The word repent here refers to a changing of one's mind and heart. Easton's Bible Dictionary notes that there are four aspects to evangelical repentance. First, there's a true sense of one's guilt and sinfulness. Second, there's an apprehension of God's mercy in Christ. Third, an actual hatred of sin and turning to it from God, turning from it to God. And four, a persistent endeavor after a holy life, you know, walking with God in the way of his commandments. So the people were coming to John and they were confessing their sins and they were being baptized. They were preparing for the Lord. When he saw the religious leaders, however, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, John challenged them. He said, I baptize with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John was just a messenger. Cleaning someone's feet, as he mentioned, was a task reserved for those of the lowest status. Yet John notes he's not even worthy of this, not even worthy to carry Jesus' sandals. He also notes there's a day coming when the wheat and the chaff will be dealt with. As the people in those days were called to repent, we too are called to repent of our sins. It's not enough to admit that we sin, as we saw earlier. We need to turn from sin to a life focused on Jesus. There's no promise it's going to be easy all the time, and we know that we're going to encounter challenges if we choose to follow Jesus. He himself said, Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We noted earlier that Jesus was the son of David. 
in 3.16 and 17 we read, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the one who came to earth, the Son of God. Peter, James, and John heard the same message later on uh, with a little addition to it. And this was when they were with Jesus when he was transfigured. He, that is Peter, was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And he adds, Listen to him. So we have Jesus Son of David, Emmanuel, the Son of God, and as Jesus often referred to himself, the Son of Man. Jesus taught, he preached in the synagogues, he healed people who were sick, who were blind, who were paralyzed, he expelled demons. Matthew shows that all the scriptures point to Jesus, and he himself said, Do not think they have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. After Matthew left his tax booth to follow Jesus, they were together, most likely sharing a meal. In Matthew 9 and 10 we read, And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came to call the right, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. John the Baptist didn't shy away from challenging people. Earlier, he had challenged the religious leaders and later on he challenged Herod and he was imprisoned for calling out Herod for being with Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Now when John was heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. We aren't sure exactly when John was imprisoned or why he was wondering if Jesus was the one to come. You may remember that John had previously noted that Jesus was the Lamb of God and that Jesus insisted on being baptized by John. Perhaps the challenges that come from following Jesus caught up with him and he needed to reassure himself that he'd put his faith in the right person. I would hazard a guess that most, perhaps all of us, have had questions or doubts about our faith at one time or another. Jesus' message back to John was that he demonstrates he is the one to come and that he is God's son through his actions. Later on in his gospel, we're called to action and we're called to be ready for a future time. So watch and be ready. In chapter 24, 
Jesus tells his followers what's coming, including the fact that the temple will be torn down. 24 verse 3 says, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. And then he tells them about things that will occur. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as we're in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in these days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So just as Jesus sent a message back for John, talking about the things that he, Jesus, was doing, so we too are told about the kind of actions that will demonstrate who belongs to him. Example, when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. When Jesus was resurrected, he was talking to the eleven disciples. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we need to be watching and we need to be ready for that time we're going to face Jesus as the righteous judge of our lives. So what does this mean for us? Well, this morning we've touched on who Jesus is. The Son of David, the Son of God, the Son of Man touched a bit on how he fulfilled prophecy in so many ways. touched a bit on his birth 
in his parents' predicament and decision to trust God. Talked a bit about his ministry vis-a-vis John the Baptist's ministry and how the two were aligned. And we got a little glimpse of the kingdom of heaven. And again, although Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, it's significant that the genealogy included four women who were not Jewish, who were Gentiles. The Magi weren't Jewish. The gospel is open to all of us. Isn't that great? And we also touched on the fact that we're going to have to account for our thoughts and our words and our actions at some point. We know that Jesus knew everything that was going to happen. In Matthew's gospel, at least by my count when I was reading, he told his disciples three times that he he was going to be killed. And then later he told them his appointed time was near when he was preparing for the Passover. Jesus knew and told them that one of the disciples was going to betray him. Another was going to deny him. He knew he was going to be crucified for something that he didn't do. He could have prevented it, but he chose to follow his father's will. This is what lay in store for the little baby born in Bethlehem. I saw this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer I thought was worth sharing. The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. Well, it certainly isn't restricted to this time of year. Advent is the time to go back to God's Word. It's time for us to make time for Him, to remind ourselves of who Jesus is and why He came to this earth. It's a time to reflect on God's mercy, His grace, His love for imperfect sinners such as us. And regardless of our circumstances, we can find an inner joy in Jesus. Advent's also a time to reflect on how we should live in response to his gift of salvation. It starts with repentance and choosing to accept the gift of salvation that came down to earth in the form of a little baby so many years ago. There's nothing we've done that Jesus can't handle. And there are implications to accepting this gift, though. Accepting Jesus as your personal Savior and your Lord means putting him first. Our relationship with him takes precedence over our relationships with others. It takes precedence over career aspirations, over our leisure activities, and so on. The reward is, however, so far greater than any sacrifice we could ever make. And just close in prayer and then ask our musicians to come up for a closing song. Heavenly Father, Again, we just marvel at your incredible love, the love that sent Jesus to earth as a baby, has sent him to the cross. We rejoice that he rose from the dead, conquered death, and is now seated with you. Father, help us at this time and always just to reflect on your love, on your grace, your mercy, the love that sent Jesus to earth as a baby, 
and help us just to reflect on how would you like us to live our lives in response to that love and in preparation for that day when we'll see Jesus face to face. Indeed, may you receive all the honor and the glory, and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church, where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area, or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.